the biblical aspects of prayer. So last week we covered the basics, which was who does it, when do you do it, how do you do it, that kind of stuff. Today what I want to show you is truly biblical aspects of prayer. Now, there are some topics that I won't specifically cover inside of here, but it's covered under a giant umbrella. So uh, just stick with me for a minute. Remember this, that prayer is direct conversation and communion with God. Whether it's planned, like, God, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., or I'll be at church at prayer at 9.45 next Sunday, or whether it's spontaneous, you're driving in the car, and you've had this thought, and you said, hmm, let me pray for so-and-so. So whether it's planned out, or whether it's spontaneous, whether it's individual, you're just by yourself, or whether it's together with a group, prayer is us talking to God. And according to scripture, this is really important that you understand this. Prayer is not a form of magic. I know that might sound so simple, but it's not a form of magic or manipulation. It's not even a form of appeasement of a spiritual force. Prayer is meant to be conversational between you and your creator. So it's also not a form of mental contemplation. I talked to to you at length last week about silent prayer. I get it. There are moments where you can't open your mouth and pray, but that's not the rule. That's the exception. So you're you're to pray audibly before the Lord and even when you're with others. It's not just mental contemplation. So remember this, that prayer in Scripture is never addressed to angels or to humans. If you remember some of the stories where they've encountered God in the Old Testament specifically, and even moments that uh, had a divine supernatural effect in the New Testament, when somebody was in the presence of an angel, they fell down and they, you know, kind of like cowered in the moment. And the angel often is like, hey, 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 wait, it's not about me. (laughs) It's about him. So we're not to pray to angels. We're not to pray to people. St. Patrick's Day just passed on Friday, and I don't know how you celebrated that. I don't want to know. Hope you wore something green and that you didn't get pinched. Um, but St. Patrick was a great evangelist. He's not the inventor of Irish beer. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how we got those paths crossed. He was an awesome evangelist. In fact, the story is told that he was enslaved by someone in Ireland, and after having been escaped for a series of years, then returned to the place, the land where he had been enslaved in order to witness to them and share what God could do if they gave their lives and hearts to him. So as great as he was, and we do refer to him as St. Patrick, and there might be, you might be here today and you have some Catholic background. We don't pray to saints. I don't pray to St. Christopher to protect me. I don't pray to any human. I pray directly to God. And I, you don't have to go through me. That's the additional benefit too. You don't have to wait till Sunday to ask pastor to pray for you. You can do it yourself anywhere at any time. Amen? Um, prayer, according to scripture, is just that, a conversation with God. And like your human conversations, they've got different shapes and different forms. Sometimes they're fast. Sometimes they're easy. 
Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they're long. Uh, sometimes they're funny. So, I mean, you just think of the aspects of human conversation and that's the exact same way we should think about the conversation that we have with God. All of the forms of communication that I'll talk to you about today are broadly grouped under these three big conversational categories. So as we talk about the aspects of prayer, I'm going to give you three big categories with a couple sub points. The first conversational category of prayer that we find in scripture, uh, or the first that we'll discuss and talk about today, is what I call prayers of request. Now, this is not prayer requests necessarily, but prayers of request. And I want to talk to you about four different types of prayers of request that are made in scripture. The first one, uh, well, let me just ask you this. Is it biblical for you to pray for yourself? Yeah, absolutely it is. So that's point number one under this. Prayers of request absolutely can be made to God requesting his help for you. Whatever it is, freedom, deliverance, healing, any of those things, financial provision, health in a relationship, whatever it is for yourself, absolutely. There are many prayers recorded in scripture by the person who prayed them themselves. But there's a unique narrative break in First Chronicles chapter 4 that I want you to turn in your Bibles to in a long chronology of ancestors. The writer of Chronicles is telling us and so and so begat so and so begat so and so and his daddy was that daddy and whose grandpa and blah 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 and all of a sudden in chapter 4 verse 9 we get a very strange narrative break and it tells a story. It says this in First Chronicles 4, verse 9, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. If any of you ladies have ever given birth, can I just ask you, was it painful? Okay. <laughs> I've never been there, so I mean, I've been in the room, but I haven't, you know. It's not possible, by the way. Okay. I'm going to stick with prayer. Okay. Here's, here's what I'm telling you. There's a book 23 years ago that was written and popularized talking about the prayer of Jabez. For the kids who are in the room today, which we've got some preteens and teens, you'll appreciate this maybe. Um, Jabez's mama named him Pain in My Butt. I mean, that's really, if you've ever heard that phrase, like, oh, you're a real pain, you know? So she literally, the word of God says that Jabez is similar to the Hebrew word for pain. Look at what verse 10 says. Jabez called upon the, the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. What's he talking about? He's talking about the territory that he owns, the land that he owns that he's part of. That you would bless me, enlarge my territory or my border, and that your hand might be with me. What does the hand of God represent in scripture? It represents either of two things, his favor or punishment. So Jabez is saying, God, I want you to bless me. Give me your hand of favor and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. I love what it says next. And God granted what he had asked. 
So is it okay to pray for yourself? Absolutely. Is it okay for you to even pray scripture and say, you know what, Jabez said this, and I'm going to pray this too. Lord, would you bless me today? Would you help increase my life? Would your hand of favor be on me? Yes, it's absolutely biblical and good for you to pray for yourself. The second type of uh, prayer of request would be intercession for others. So we'd be praying for others. When we're in a prayer gathering together, when you've met in a coffee shop or been with a friend and they've said, I need you to pray for me, whatever the case may be, this is a biblical practice as well. It's an aspect of prayer. So I say this because I want to help you understand it's not okay for you to only pray for yourself, <laughs> right? You've got to have a balance and you've got to be able to pray for others. What I have said for a very long time, and I've encouraged anyone, and I will encourage you today to listen and to participate and practice the same thing. When someone asks you for prayer or you feel prompted to tell that person, you know what, Kyle, I'll be praying for you. Stop what you're doing and pray. <laughs> I, it seems very elementary, but here's the thing. We get like, well, I don't know really what to pray. The Bible says the spirit will tell you how to pray when you don't know what to pray. Well, I'm embarrassed. My language might not be that good. I might repeat myself. I, I might be embarrassed if they hear me pray. Listen, pray. I got a text message from a missionary this morning that we support. Do you want to know what it says? And I completely 100% believe that it was actually happening when it texted, when it got texted to me. Good morning, Dexter. Just wanted to let you know that we love you, Amy, and your family, and we are praying for you today. That's not a message I get every Sunday. It's not from the same person all the time. But I know that when that person said, I'm praying for you, they're praying for me. Amen? So pray for one another. It's very clear all the way throughout Scripture that there are examples of people praying for others. Moses prayed for the people of Israel. Um, Jesus prayed for his disciples. We'll talk about that prayer in John 17 in the next few weeks. Um, there are hundreds of examples. But let me point you to one which you might find as interesting as I did, which is Job. Go with me to the end of the book. It's such a... Man, I tell you, I don't know if Job is on the top 10 list of reading for us as believers because it's like a dreary, painful read. Um, it kind of messes with our theology a little bit, our understanding of suffering. But the ending, I'm telling you, there might not be a better one that's ever been written of a human. Job 42, verse 7. It says this, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord spoke to Eliphaz, the Temanite, and said, I'm mad at you and your friends. <laughs> God says this, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. The Bible says this, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly or your foolishness. 
listen to me. There had to have been a moment of confession when his three buddies showed up with all these animals and said, Job, God told us we had to come and give these to you for you to sacrifice them. What further conversation happened? Job said, well, why did God tell you to do this? Well, he, he told us because we sinned that we needed to bring this offering and that he would listen to you. I want to tell you something interesting that I've thought about this entire week while I've reviewed this. What would have happened to those three friends because we all have a human will? What would have happened if Job had desired resentment and revenge and said, I'm not going to do that? I don't think the story would have ended the same way. Listen to what it says. My servant Job shall pray for you, for I'll accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your foolishness. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Job's friends went and obeyed. They did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Look at what verse 10 says. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. I hope you find that as interesting as I did, because I think what we think is, please forgive me for the language, God allowed Job to go through hell on earth, and then we just get to the end and we're like, yeah, and then God blessed him, and he had double the portion and double the blessing. I wonder, I truly wonder, what the correlation is between his repentant friends being prayed for by him and him him receiving the double blessing or the double portion. The Bible says after Job prayed for those repentant friends that God restored the fortunes of Job and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Do you think there's a reason why Jesus says in scripture that you should pray even for your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? So yes, we can and should pray for others. If someone comes to me at the end of service and says, Pastor, will you pray for me? My answer is always unequivocally yes. But let me just remind you, you can pray for you and you can pray for one another and you please should pray for me. (laughs) Okay? Let me give you two more types of prayers of request that we find in scripture. This third one is prayers of confession. This is when we commit an offense against God and we're seeking forgiveness so that our relationship can be restored. You prayed a prayer like this when you first came to Christ and you said, Father, I thank you for your son who you gave on my behalf. I confess my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. You, you had wording similar to that when you prayed to receive Christ the very first time. I'm a firm believer that that should not have been the only prayer of confession that you make in your life. So I say that because there are prayers of confession all throughout scripture, but I really do think that we as believers should offer prayers of confession more often than we do. Why? Why should we? Because we fail. (laughs) Because we've broken God's law, because we've trampled on the grace of Jesus, because we have gone our own way 
And we do need his help, his healing, his forgiveness. In fact, the word confession, it confess means to acknowledge or agree with or say the same thing as. So you say when somebody confessed to a crime, they're admitting their guilt. They're saying the same thing is true that that person said, which is, yes, I did it. God's mechanism to restore your broken relationship with him is confession. And I think a lot of people end up assuming that confession adds to the weight of guilt. Like if I have to talk about it, I'm just, I'm going to feel more guilty about it. But I think in reality, confession is actually doing the opposite. When you confess your sin, amen, the weight of guilt gets lifted off of you. You recognize how dirty and broken you are and how much you need God. And so when you confess, it leads you to peace. It leaves you with an assurance that you are clean, that you are free, that you are delivered, that you're forgiven, all of those things. So we should do it more often than we do. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this. If we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to understand this letter, 1 John, was written so that people who were believers would hear it. That they are to confess their sin and cleanse themselves from all unrighteousness through the help of what God will do. Because it says when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Finally, let me say this about confession. I think many Christians mistakenly believe that the more spiritually mature you get, the less you need to confess. But I think the direct opposite is true. Because I think that as you become spiritually mature and you're growing up in your faith, you're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit who then says, "Uh, uh, 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 Julie, 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 until he gets her attention. And then she says, you're right. I agree with what you've said about me. I shouldn't have used those words with Dan. I shouldn't have been angry. I shouldn't have... (laughs) I'm healing their marriage right now in this, in the, no, just um, Dan's like, I'm just going to plead the fifth right here, right now. But the idea is this, as we grow in maturity, I think there's more to confess because the Holy Spirit reveals in us areas that we would not have been sensitive to before that then we can see, and because we can see and God has always seen, then we can address those things with him and lean on his, his help and his hand. Okay, here's the fourth type of a prayer of request. This is a difficult word to pronounce, and you may have never heard it in your life. I'm not trying to be cool or cute when I tell you this. It is an actual word, and it's an actual definition, and it's real all the way throughout Scripture. And that is this, you'll see it on the screen, prayers of request that involve imprecation. Now, if you're super intelligent and educated, you may know what this means, but let me just help you understand. It is the invoking of a curse on someone in prayer. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? We're not witches. (laughs) What? 
I can't cast a, a curse on someone. Yes, you can. Although it happens very rarely in Scripture, these prayers of request, including imprecation, are important for us to understand. And I, I know they're hard and difficult for us to understand, so let me try to unpack it a little bit. Remember, Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I don't want to say necessarily, well, I mean, there are several things that can be true at once. You are what you eat, okay? You are what you say. Those things are true. The Bible actually says death and life are in the power of your tongue. There is power in positive confession. That may not really actually change your circumstance. And I'm not telling you to go home and look in the mirror tomorrow morning and say, yes, I'm a child of God. I am beautiful or handsome. Like I'm not talking about weird stuff. What I'm saying is I can stand on God's word and declare, you said by your stripes, I am healed. Father, heal me today. You can do that. But the Bible also tells us that there are many instances of spoken blessings and also of curses that were spoken that God honored in Scripture. So imprecation, let me help you understand this a little bit better. It is not a prayer out of selfish vengeance or retaliation. Imprecation should be born out of dignified, let me say it this way, holy or sanctified anger and indignation. So I'll give you a couple examples to help you kind of see where this lines up. Think about them like this. Their request for God to deal righteously and swiftly and decisively with the wicked. That's what it is. And it's absolutely a-okay with God that you pray prayers like this. But I'll give you the example, which is not a prayer of imprecation. It's a prayer of foolishness. And I have prayed this prayer. I'm confessing my sin. Lord, that person that cut me off today, I hope they get the biggest ticket of their life. Okay, that's me being foolish and selfish, and I really do want them to get the biggest ticket of their life, and I'm praying that the state trooper gets them. But that's not what we're talking about. If you were alive during the days where the Nazis were moving to exterminate an entire people group off of the face of the earth, and you found yourself praying quietly, maybe even in a hidden space, God, would you stop the plans of the wicked? Would you save those people from being murdered heinously? Would you help and deliver? That is a good prayer of imprecation. It's for us to understand that God is a righteous judge and he wants to Handle and help with wicked deeds and wicked people. So when you come across this, it's possible for you to pray for them. Now, let me give you an example. There are probably a dozen, if not more, um, but I'll just give you one example of a prayer of imprecation that David wrote about his enemies. And again, it's not selfish vengeance. I want you to understand that. Look at what Psalm 69 says, verse 22. 
It says, let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened or blinded so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your wrath or indignation on them and let your burning anger overtake them. You think David should have scrapped this or God didn't want this in his word? He put it there. He allowed it to be there. This is a prayer that continues in verse 27. Listen to what more David adds. Add to them punishment. (laughs) This is terrible stuff, y'all. Add to them punishment on punishment that they would never receive acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. God, I pray you'd kill them off and let them never be enrolled among the righteous. You say, well, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't pray like that. If there are wicked things going on, you should pray hard and difficult prayers. But let me be clear. David is not praying a curse on a boss that he doesn't like. Are you getting what I'm saying? David has an understanding that there is a purpose for the people of God and God has a plan and he knows that there are enemies, human and spiritual, that are attacking those plans and agendas. And so he is saying, God, stop them in their tracks. Pray a prayer like that. See God do something incredible in your life. David prayed righteously because he was convinced of God's position and God's purpose for those people. If you're convinced, then you ought to pray a similar prayer. You can find many more of them if you look in Scripture. Again, it's just one of an option of, or one of an aspect of prayers of request. The second uh, conversational category of prayer is what I call prayers of worship. Now, what we did earlier in service was beautiful, and it was singing with music, and I love it, but there's also something to be said about praying as a form of worship. We talk about giving your tithes and offering as a form of worship. We talk about you serving in a ministry in the church or community as a form of worship to God. You can also pray prayers of worship. And so these prayers are directed to God, and they're prayers that exalt Him For who he is. And you might just find a period and put it there. That's it. Sometimes you don't need to give him. I I hate to say this so casually. But you don't need to give him your honey do list. Or your God do list. Like God do this do that. Because we really do treat prayer. Even though we. I heard several amens at the beginning of this message. We treat it like magic. Like we're rubbing a genie. And hoping that we get the answer that we're praying for. We need to think of it in terms differently. That we are coming before a holy God. Who created the heavens and the earth. And all that is within them. And we are seeking his help and guidance. And we need to take moments where we simply just sit. Or bow. Or kneel. And just pray a prayer of worship that exalts how great He is. There are hundreds of examples of this. And here's what I'm going to tell you, which I wasn't really planning on because it's in a different message I'm developing, but I'll say this very quickly. People who pray 
are at greater peace. It's literally proven that people of faith who regularly pray have better mental health, have better relationships, have better this, have better, like fill in the blank. Those things are proven because we realize we are not enough. We realize there is a higher power and he's not just going to show up and prevent a car accident. He wants to help me do diligent work at my job, right? So we need to think about it in terms like this. Hundreds of examples of prayers of what what I would call adoration would be the first or um, praise or admiration, you could say. First Chronicles chapter 29, David is praying again. And it says this in verse uh, 10 through 13. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is this kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Period. End of sentence. That might be the prayer that you need to pray. It's an aspect of prayer that I think sometimes we, again, and I'm not, I'm really not trying to be cynical or overly critical, but how many of you prayed over a meal this week? Just raise your hand. Okay. Most of us. Great. Fine. If you didn't, that's okay. We'll talk about that later. Here's what we do. Lord, thank you for this food. Bless this night. Amen. Lord, thank you for this food. Uh, Bless this family. Amen. Yeah, like we just, we kind of, we treat it with, I don't want to say disrespect, but we treat it so casually that we don't really understand. We didn't take a minute to actually adore the God of heaven and tell him that riches and honor and power and majesty are yours. Every victory that's ever been accomplished by in my life has been a result of your work and not my own strength. God, I thank you that you are who you are. Now, you might complain because the food gets cold on Thanksgiving if your super spiritual family member prays a prayer like that. But they've been saving up all year because they've been praying quick prayers over hot dinners until they got to Thanksgiving. So prayers of adoration are important. And listen, look up at me and hear me well when I say this. You don't have to pray just this and be done. Many of your prayers should include several of these aspects. I could literally demonstrate that for you now. Lord, I humbly come to you today to confess my sin. Fill in the blank. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that you give me and the grace that you give me. God, you're worthy of all honor and glory and praise. That's, that's combining any and all of these, there is no formula necessarily. The second type of prayer of worship is this, a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, we just heard some words of thanksgiving uh, in the end of David's prayer there, but it's gratitude, it's appreciation. I want to tell you something. The antidote for anxiety is to pray. 
Two of you heard me, and I'm so glad, but I hope the rest of us do too. (laughs) Okay? The louder you shout, the quicker I go. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to you. The antidote to anxiety is to pray. You say, well, pastor, that's not what my therapist said. I take these antidepressants. I'm going through a hard time. I'm not criticizing you for that. I'm telling you the word of God says in Philippians 4, 6, stop being anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. So I had better devoted, I had better have devoted my life and those moments of anxiety to prayer before I swallow the pill. Hello? And, and given this issue over to the Lord. Mental health is important. I was talking to somebody recently and, and I thought I was going to be a two minute conversation and it turned down into an hour conversation with uh, somebody that I haven't really connected with before. And he began to explain the, his mental health issues that he's gone through over the years. He began to talk about ideations and nightmares he has and all of these terrible things. He talked about his therapist and he is a somewhat practicing Catholic. And he talked about going to church as well. But saying that he just doesn't feel that closeness in his relationship with God. And my encouragement to him was this. You don't have to wait to see the priest. (laughs) You have a priest, a great high priest. His name is Jesus. And literally, in the moment of your panic, whatever ideation you have, your issue, your anxiety, in the moment that that strikes... Go to God in prayer because the writer of Hebrews says, we have a mediator, a go-between. So my encouragement to him, I did not tell him, stop taking your Prozac. I'm not a doctor. I didn't tell him to stop taking whatever other medications he listed out in the conversation. I didn't say that. I'm all for talking to people who are licensed counselors and getting the help that you need. Please don't misunderstand your pastor. But I'm just asking you, have you given it to God? Are you giving it to God every single time? Here's an encouragement to pray with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So you can look throughout scripture and find dozens, if not hundreds of prayers of thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for that. I encourage you, if you're not that, I know, I know a friend who is never thankful. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to stop doing things for you if you're not going to say anything about it. I mean... That's just me humanly. Thank God that God is more gracious than I. But I think he wants to be thanked from time to time. I think maybe there's room for each of us in one of these aspects of prayer to say, you know what, this week I'm going to be consciously aware of the fact that I haven't really been that grateful and I have been just giving honeydew lists to God, that I'm going to make sure I dedicate the first minute of prayer to thanking him for what he's done. Guess what it does? 
It changes your attitude. It changes your perspective on the problem. You remember the goodness of God and how he delivered you before. You start singing a song you heard on Sunday. He hasn't failed me now. He's not going to start today. Amen? So the third and final conversational category of prayer is this, and this will go quickly. So worship team, if you want to prepare to come, you can. The third and final category that we'll discuss is what I call prayers of communion. Brother Paul led us beautifully in uh, our elements of communion today, reading from the prophecy in Isaiah about the Messiah and then reading what Paul gave to the church in Corinth as instructions for them. The word communion means to have fellowship or to commune with one another. And how I would define it, if I were to try to define this, a prayer of communion would be just spending time talking to God, building relationship with him, just fellowshipping with him. A good example you can find really in the first few pages of scripture is found in Genesis 3. It's a good example of fellowship, but then a, a, a terrible example of fellowship broken. The Bible says that Adam and Eve in the garden, in the garden of Eden, were walking and that God was walking. He came to meet them in the cool of the day. Can you imagine what their daily conversation would have been like? God, tell me what it's like outside of the garden. God, I named these things bananas. I don't know if you're okay with that, but you know, I got a couple brown ones. Are we supposed to eat those before they turn brown? It was just conversation. It was just fellowship together. I think this is important that we come to God sometimes without any agenda and just ask him to speak to us. You don't have to blabber on if that's what you think I'm encouraging you to do. I'm not. Fellowship goes both ways. It's it's him speaking to us and us speaking to him. Think about it in light of a healthy marriage. What ends up happening at the dinner table? You talk about your day. Talk about something that was funny, that gave you joy, brought you joy, or something terrible that happened at work that you really wish had not happened. It's just, it's fellowship. You're building relationship with God. Two notable examples in scripture are Enoch and Noah. The Bible says of both of these men, this clear-cut, very simple statement, they walked with God. And that's what that means. It's they were communing and having fellowship with God. It's understood that they were building on their relationship with God. And the second and final category, or not category, but prayer of communion is not just prayer of fellowship, but this one, prayer of complaint. You say, is it okay that I complain to God? (laughs) Yes, it's absolutely scriptural. When you're expressing your frustration to God of something that's not going the way that you wanted it to. When something hasn't um, quite gotten to the place that you wish it did. If you have doubts, even in your own belief, 
you can use those in prayer to God and say, God, I'm having a really hard time believing in your goodness because of this loss in my family or because of this crisis that I faced. He doesn't get furious with you just because you're frustrated. I, I, I think it's, it's okay for us to talk to him and tell him that we don't understand why that death occurred untimely or why we've experienced this health crisis or why this issue is happening. See, what ends up happening is you and I as people, as humans, we naturally default to complaining to others, which then turns into gossip, just like that. It's been said that two things will never change any circumstance. The first is worry, which the Bible is very clear about. Worrying about it's not going to fix it, right? Praying about it may fix it. And the second thing that will never change any circumstance is simply complaining about it to people. But there are literally over a third of the Psalms in Scripture are Psalms of complaint, or another word you may have heard is Psalms of lament. Listen to this quick list. The psalmist pours out his heart to God in sorrow in Psalm 137. He expresses anger, furious anger, in Psalm 140. He expresses fear. In Psalm 69, longing in Psalm 85, confusion in Psalm 102. God, help me understand because I don't understand. I don't get it right now. It's okay to pray like that. Of even desolation and repentance in Psalm 22 and 51, disappointment in Psalm 74, or even depression in Psalm 88 either because of external forces of evil or internal turmoil and darkness. It, they were prayers of complaint. God, I need your help to fix this. This is really bothering me. These Psalms model the way that we should complain to God in a way that honors him, that is never disrespectful of him or what he's done for us. In fact, I've found that in my moments where I've complained to God in prayer, I've either, I can say this because we're in the South, I've either gotten spanked by God after complaining and said, straighten up, or the other side of it is this, I've come to this realization that God is good and that he's never failed me. What am I doing here complaining? God, I shouldn't have to you know what, God, you are good. I remember when provision came. I remember when health came. I remember. In fact, when we complain and we bring our complaints to God instead of your spouse or your friends or your coworkers, when we do that, what I feel like ends up happening is we realize we're not as alone as we think we are because God is with us. The point of this message, talking about the biblical aspects of prayer, is to help you better understand each one of them. And what I would do is tell you what was told to me years ago. I went to a conference for church ministry, 
and the director of the conference said something amazing on stage that has stuck with me for a long, long time. It was like a two, three day conference. I got carpal tunnel writing notes so much because I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. Like, you know, there's times where you just absorb, absorb, absorb. But he said something that really shocked me at the start. And he said, just take one thing home. And I think that makes sense. In this message today, you, you don't need to go home and practice these 9, 10, 11 things all in the same prayer at the same time. I'm not prescribing that. What I'm saying to you is this. I think the Holy Spirit probably put his thumb on a single aspect of prayer that you could integrate this week into your prayer and start implementing it more. Yes, Lord, I have been thankful, but I haven't confessed my sin lately. I should maybe do that. In fact, we're going to give you a moment of prayer right now. Would you close your eyes? Holy Spirit, I'm convinced of your help today. I'm convinced that you've already spoken to many, but I pray over our church, over Celebrate Church today. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every heart. Lord, we want to talk with you. We want to commune with you. God, help us be energized in our praying, in the spiritual discipline of prayer. God, help us today. If you need prayer for any reason, whatever it is, we have prayer team members who are going to step out right now and they'll be on either this side or this side of the worship center. Pray at your seat or find a person to pray with you today. Tell them what you need so they can pray with you as we go to the Lord together, believing that he is a God who hears. Amen. A God who hears. Lord, I thank you for your word that brings life today. Right now, I pray that anyone who needs prayer would have the boldness to step out of their seat and receive it. In Jesus' name. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all Except for a heart sea.